Amen. Let's pray. God, a lot of truth that we just sang there. We look forward. We look forward to that day when these trials here are over and when all of this sorrows here are past. And we live with you. We live with your son who first came out of the grave and gave the victory over death and sin and Satan. And I look forward to that day when we raise from the dead as well. If we don't meet you uh, in the sky as we raise from the dead, that we'll stand there and sing your glories forever as we behold the wondrous mystery, this King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you wake up in the morning and you just can't wait to encounter a trial that day? (laughs) Not very many of us, right? I doubt if anybody looks forward to trials. Nobody longs for hardships to come, but they still come, don't they? We still have them. Sometimes it's a meltdown with a child. Sometimes it's a spouse who gets angry and yells in a fit of rage. Sometimes it's uh, what we thought would be a routine or a semi-routine medical checkup and it ends up in a life-altering diagnosis. Or maybe it's a statement that you made to a a co-worker of yours, something about that which you believe, and they just really took it and hate you for it and are blasting you to everybody. The list can can go on and on. There's a lot of different ways that, that we face trials, right? And so the question becomes not, are we going to face trials? We are. But what are we going to do with those trials when they come? Some people would just make the remark, I'm just going to go back to bed and I'm just going to pull the covers over my head. Or they say, I'm just going to go get drunk. I'm just going to go smoke some weed. and it, it, All of those are forms of escapism, just trying to get away from the trial. Other people uh, pretend like they don't have trials. Uh, they just take on a happy-go-lucky sort of idea, and, it, and it's actually a form of denial. We'll talk about that one a little bit later. And then some people take trials and they manipulate it, or they use it, to try to show off some supposed ultra-spiritual skill that they have. Uh, Let me give you an example. About a year ago or so now, there was a a self-proclaimed prophet here in the United States who who blew into the camera at at the trial of coronavirus and just said, coronavirus, be gone. It's still around a year later, right? Uh, It was a bit of a claim Uh, that some will use when trials come to take on a spiritual elitism. Uh, In this case, actually showed a a, a massive lack of of spiritual knowledge. A lot of different responses that people take uh, to trials. And so I want us to say, well, what does Scripture say? How, How would Scripture inform us how to handle trials when they come? Holy Spirit, we need your truth that you've written here to to guide our thinking. And so uh, the Spirit's going to do that for us through the Apostle Peter as Peter wrote to this early church and to us. So I'm going to read our text this morning. If you have your Bibles open, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
I want to read this morning verses 3 to 9, because it's a whole little section. We covered 3 to 5 last week, and so if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that one online. So this morning, we're going to focus our attention then on verses 6 to 9. But I want to read verses 3 down to verse 9. So follow along as I read. Apostle Peter is writing here, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There are seven, at least seven truths about trials found in these little verses. If you have your bulletin, in your bulletin are message notes. You're going to see those seven listed there. And you may want to take some notes under them as we walk through them uh, to help you remember them. The first truth that we learn about trials from Peter is that trials are temporary. Trials are temporary. If you notice at the beginning of verse 6, Peter says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Now, even before we talk about the little while part, uh, we have to answer the question. When Peter says, in this you rejoice, what is the this that he's talking about? Well, this, the, the rejoicing, is everything we covered last week. It's everything that's in verses 3 to 5. What are we rejoicing in Verses 3 to 5, we are rejoicing in the fact that God in his mercy caused us to be born again. And as a result of that status of being born again, we've been given three riches. That's what is captured there in verses 3 to 5. Three riches. We've been given a a living hope. That is a hope in a living Christ. We've been given a promised inheritance, that's what's being kept for us, unfading, undefiled, imperishable in heaven, and we've been given a guarded salvation. That is a salvation that's being kept through faith as we await for the second coming of Jesus. All of those riches, all of those promises fuel our faith. And so Paul, or Peter says, in this, all of those things, in this we rejoice. It it, it makes us happy. It it energizes and spurs on our faith because we're getting ready to encounter trial. So, now coming back then to the text of verse 6, 
in this you rejoice. That's all the riches from verses 3 to 5. Though now for a little while you've been grieved by trials. Trials are temporary. They don't always feel like it. In fact, when we're going through trials, uh, if we're being honest, sometimes they feel like they last forever. And if we're being ultra honest, some of our trials actually do last all the way until the point when we go home to be with the Lord. I often think about a a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata. If you've ever heard of her, uh, you might have heard her on the radio. She has a program called Johnny and Friends. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. She is 71 years old today, but when she was 17 years old, she broke her neck in a diving accident, and she's been paralyzed from the shoulders down ever since. But if you listen to her program, if you ever log on and, and watch her, she has this amazing faith. And she's used that trial uh, to the glory of God as she speaks about how to endure trials. And she's encouraged so many people uh, as they face uh, trials. But guess what? Her trial is not going away until she meets the Lord. One day she'll get her legs back and she'll get her, her arms back and she'll be able to function. But for the rest of her earthly life, she is facing this trial. So how can Peter come along in verse 6 and say to us, this trial that you're facing is only going to last a little while when some trials last until our death? Well, I think Peter can say this because Peter takes an eternal focus. Look down in your Bible to verse 24. Peter writes in this very first chapter, he says, all flesh is like grass and all of its glory flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In other words, our life is really quite short. Our time on earth is quite short. It might seem long, 80, 90, 100 years, feels like a long time to us. But if I had a giant whiteboard up here on the, on the stage, I would go over here and I would write eternity past. And I would put an arrow going that way. And I would draw this line that would go all the way over here. And over here, I would draw another arrow that says eternity future. And you have this enormously long line. Let's say it goes across the whole stage. And then right here in this line, I put a little dot. That's your life on earth. Our life, James says, is like a vapor. It's here one day and it's gone the next. And if we begin thinking about how short our life is, even if it's 80, 90, 100 years old, in comparison to eternity, we can see how Peter here is coming along and he's saying, I want you to fix your eyes on the eternal. Your trial's hard, but it's temporary. It's not going to last forever. That's why he said what he said back in verses 3 to 5. He says, we have this living hope in a Jesus who never dies. We have an inheritance that never fades. We have a salvation that continues on into eternity with with this glorious revealed second coming of the Lord. And, And it's almost like Peter is taking his hand 
under our chin as we're staring down at our trial. And he's taking his hand and he's sort of lifting our chin up so that we gaze at the eternal. And he says, your trial is temporary. In the span of eternity. They're here for a little while. Back when I was in Indiana, we used to teach Bible school, and we would hand out these little pencils, and on the pencils was this little phrase, and it said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You probably heard that, right? Only one life will soon be passed. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, says it like this. He says, when God permits his children to go through the furnace... He keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. I like that. He keeps his eye on the clock and he keeps his hand on the thermostat. And he has to keep his hand on the thermostat um, because the next truth that we learn about trials is that trials are hard. Right? Trials are hard. Look again at verse 6. Look how Peter words it. He says, Though for a little while you have been grieved by trials grieved trials are grievous trials are difficult they're not fun we should never pretend to be unfazed as we go through the trials of life i I fear that sometimes as christians we are implicitly taught that when we go through a trial we're just supposed to slap on a smile and fake it till we make it right have you ever heard that Just fake it till you make it. Friends, that is not at all how Peter describes trials. They're grievous. Every now and then I'll I'll encounter somebody who I know is going through a particularly difficult time and I'll say, how are you doing? And you get sort of this pithy, pious answer, oh, the Lord's been good to us, hasn't he? Now there's some truth to that. The Lord has been good to us, but sometimes I wonder when I hear that, am I just talking to a spiritual giant with some supernatural ability to just soar above life's issues? Because there's another part of me that just wants to go, fake! You're fake! Listen, it's okay when we face trials, to say, this is hard. I'm not enjoying this. I need your prayers. One of my counseling professors used to say, he was a a pastor as well, he used to always say that he would never let people in his church get by with, I'm fine. As the, as the answer to his question, how are you, as he passes them in the hallway. He says, if somebody says, I'm fine, he will stop and he'll look at them and he'll say, really, how are you? And he said, this, sometimes they'll say, no, really, I'm fine. Uh, and he said, but often they'll say, I'm not really fine. I just want to tell you, this is why as pastors and elders in this church, We love to pray for you. We love to come alongside you. We have trials. We know what it's like. We don't want to fake it, and we don't want you to fake it either. We've been there. We want you to know that we pray for you and that we're willing to help. 
your trial might not be the same as mine. In fact, that's the next truth that we learn about trials. Trials are varied. Okay, look what Peter says again in verse 6. You have been grieved by various trials. Some of our trials are physical. Some of our trials are relational. And Peter is writing specifically here to those who are facing persecution for their faith. So some of our trials are more spiritual uh, in nature. Very trials. We all face them. We, we all uh, have encounters in different ways. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We could go down the aisles this morning and have each one of you stand and tell us about trials that you have faced in life or that you are currently facing in life. No one goes through life unscathed. We all have scars. We all have bruises. No one has a perfect life. We all dress up nice and we come to church on Sunday morning and that's all fine and, and dainty. I'm, I'm glad that you dress up nice. But you're not here on Mondays when I do counseling. You're not here on Tuesdays when our elders pray about needs in our church. You're not here on Tuesdays when our prayer team prays about needs in church. You're not here on Thursday when I do more counseling and I encounter people with more trials. You're not here or with me on weekends when I get phone calls from you saying, I am going through a trial. Friend, we all face trials. I don't know how to convince you of that because without exception, almost without exception, when I talk to somebody, they think they're the only one that's going through this. We all face trials. And if that were it, if that was just it, oh, we're all going through this and there's no point to it, that'd be pretty depressing. But there is a purpose. In fact, the fourth truth that we learn from what Peter says here is that trials are necessary. Look again at, at, at verse 6, the truth that just pours out of this one verse. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, look at this phrase, if necessary, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Trials are controlled by God and used by God for his purposes. Out of necessity, God allows trials into the lives of his children. Why? For what purpose? Well, some trials are, are given to us to discipline us. If we've disobeyed God's will, in fact, Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Some trials are meant to bring us back into conformity with God's revealed word. Some trials actually prevent us from sinning. I am always amazed as I think about this one, when I think about, the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh. You remember when he talks about having this thorn in the flesh? Scripture doesn't definitively tell us what that thorn was, although many different theologians have speculated what that thorn was in, in Paul's flesh. But how many of you have slowed down long enough to discover why Paul had a thorn in the flesh in the first place? Let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul says, 
So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. What is Paul saying there? Paul's saying, I wasn't conceited. But in order to keep me from becoming conceited, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. Isn't that interesting? A trial was given to Paul so that he would stay humble. Isn't that something? I wonder how many of us have trials in our lives simply to keep us from falling into the trap of a particular sin. We might never know. We might never know why we had to face this trial other than when we get to heaven, God says, I gave that to you so you wouldn't sin over here. To which we say, thank you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it helps us to learn how to trust Jesus. Jesus said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So some trials are given to us to discipline us. Some trials are necessary to keep us from sinning. But all trials are an opportunity to reveal the genuineness of our faith. And that is the fifth truth we learn about trials. Trials reveal the genuineness of our faith. Look again at verse 7. Why are we grieved by various trials? So that... The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm not a goldsmith, but what I've read and and studied is that in order to purify gold, refiners heat the gold to the point of boiling. And then they scrape the dross off the top uh, and they boil it until there's no more dross. Uh, From what I understand, uh, once that gold reaches uh, near or at perfection, that 24 karat gold, as it's boiling, you can actually look into the gold and see your reflection uh, in the gold. It's pretty amazing. It reminds me, this verse does, of what, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he said, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Trials conform believers into the image of Christ. If Christ is the perfect one, And as we are boiled, as we're tested, as we're purified by fire, as we look into the face of Jesus, that reflection becomes more and more like him. The one who was without sin, the the perfect one. But I want you to notice something that Peter says here about gold in this verse. Because he says, even that gold, the gold that you and I have, that's refined by fire, even that gold eventually perishes. The gold that we know. In his second letter, uh, Peter explains what will happen when the Lord returns. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies, that includes the earth, which is in the heavens, uh, will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Even pure gold that we know of today, even that pure gold will be dissolved down to its elemental level when the Lord comes back. But there is one thing that will survive the second coming of Jesus Christ. What is it? What did he say in verse 7? He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, your faith will survive, provided it's genuine, and it will be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The faith of a true believer will survive every trial and will prove genuine all the way to and including the second coming of Jesus Christ. Listen, this is important. When you and I face trials, it is not to prove the genuineness of our faith to God. He already knows whether or not our faith is genuine. When you and I face trials, it is to prove the genuineness of our faith to ourselves and to others who are watching so that we know whether or not our faith is real. Let me show you what I mean. Turn in your Bible. Keep your finger in 1 Peter, but turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 4. A familiar parable that Jesus tells, we refer to it as the parable of the soils. But a, a, a familiar parable that highlights this idea of genuine versus disingenuine faith. Look at Mark 4, starting at verse 2. Jesus, Jesus was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed, I want you to pay attention to this one, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, drop down to verse 13, and you see the explanation of this parable. Jesus said to them, You do not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Now catch this, what he's going to say. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves and endure for a while. Then, when tribulation 
or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. What's the problem? The problem is they have no root. They have no genuine faith. They heard the good news, they heard the word, and they sprang up and it all looked good and it all looked wonderful. But when the sun came out, the trials came, the persecution came, what did it expose? It exposed the fact that they had no root. They were not grounded in Jesus Christ. They had no genuine and abiding faith. Verse 20, though, says those that were sown on the good soil, hopefully that's you and I, the good soil, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and do what? They bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Listen, friends, when you and I face trials, Peter says, we come through those trials producing fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what does that prove? That proves that our faith was genuine. We look at our trial and we say, I do have faith. My faith is real. My faith is authentic because I was able to face the trial. I was able to face the persecution. I was able to walk through the fire and I did not give up the faith. I did not walk away. I never abandoned Christ. And we say, praise the Lord. My faith was real. That test proved the genuineness of my faith. I was just talking to somebody uh, recently and, and, and this person said, you know, it was through the toughest times when I felt closest to Jesus. Well, of course, because a true believer, when he or she faces that trial, they have a way of exposing our faith. They either expose it as a fraud with no root or they expose it for good and fruit that's coming out of it, which leads us to the sixth, truth about trials that we read in verse 7. Trials result in praise and glory and honor. Look what he says in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith in verse may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise and glory and honor for whom? Well, maybe in part for you because you made it through the trial, but ultimately all praise and all glory and all honor is turned to whom? It's turned to Jesus, right? Which brings us to the final truth about trials that we learn in this passage. Trials refocus us on Jesus. Look at verse 8 again. Go back to 1 Peter. Look at verse 8. Though you've not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. By the time Peter wrote this letter, most of his readers had not seen Jesus face to face. This is next generation believers 30 some years later. These people hadn't seen Jesus, but they believed in him 
through the faithful testimony of Peter and the other apostles. And even though they had personally not seen Jesus, they loved him, they believed in him just the same way you and I do. We've not seen Jesus face to face. We weren't there when he walked on the earth, but through the faithful testimony of somebody who told us, who somebody told them, who goes all the way back to the scriptures, we haven't seen him face to face with our own eyes, but our belief is by faith and not by sight. We love him. We believe him. We, we, we reflect on what he's accomplished on our behalf through his death and resurrection. And, and we have this settled joy because of what Jesus has done for us. This joy that Peter describes here as inexpressible and filled with glory. Well, how can we have that kind of joy when we walk through trials? It's because Jesus too faced trials. Jesus suffered as well. In fact, Hebrews 12, 2 says it like this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him skipped and frolicked into the kingdom of heaven. Is that what it says? It says, who for the joy that was set before him did what? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne. Friend, Jesus suffered before you did. And Jesus suffered the greatest suffering that could ever be suffered as he endured the cross and he took the full wrath of God for your sin. He died in your place. It was all poured out on him. He took the beating. He took the mocking. He took the shame. Why did he do it? Because he had his eyes fixed on the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? The joy of obeying and pleasing God. The joy that would eventually lead to the salvation of your soul and mine. And because Jesus knew suffering, and because he knows suffering well, the writer of Hebrews could also say to us in Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. God is encouraging you this morning, friend, I don't know what all suffering you might be facing today, and I don't know what all suffering you'll be facing in the upcoming days and weeks and months, but Jesus knows. He's walked the path ahead of you, and he's willing to come alongside you. You have a faithful friend in Jesus, and if you believe in him and you love him, I want to show you something powerful about your salvation. Just look down quickly at, at your Bible in 1 Peter 1. Your salvation is past tense. That's in verse 3. He's caused us to be born again. Your salvation is present tense. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. And your salvation is future tense. Verse 9. 
you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that happens when Jesus comes again. You, friends, have been given a gift. If you love Jesus, he is with you today. Let that encourage you as you walk through your trial, whatever it is. Why don't you stand with me? So we pray to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these truths, these truths about trials. We don't like to think about trials. We don't like to, we definitely, we definitely don't like to go through trials. I, nobody clicks their heels and says, yippee, another trial but we know that your trials have a purpose. They train us, they discipline us, they keep us from sinning, they prove the genuineness of our faith, they keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can't, we can't go through trials by ourselves. We, can, we don't have the strength to persevere on our own. We need Jesus Christ, the perfecter of our faith. And so I pray this morning that we would lift our chin, we would fix our eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross, who suffered the shame, and now who's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Encourage us, Father, so that as we go through a trial, we can look back and we can say, I did it with the help of Jesus. He is my all in all. All praise be to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.